the soul then, the immortal principle in man. It's an interesting concept, the idea and the, the subject of the soul in various discussions, whether that be religious based or just general opinion. The English word soul is derived from Old English soul. So well, variant, which means immortal principle in man, was first attested in the 8th century poem Beowulf. It's closely linked to the German, Saxon, Franconian, Norse, Lithuanian words. And its original concept, the Germanic word, is thought to mean coming from or belonging to the sea. It originated from the pre-Celtic belief in souls emerging from and returning to sacred lakes or to the sea. There's a copy of that, and this information is readily available on the internet, so you can access it. But it raises the topic, doesn't it, about what is the soul? And is the idea of it, it being an immortal principle, outliving the physical corporal body after death, is that really the case? Well, we'd like to look at the Bible and to see what it, it's got to say. The Bible, then uses the word soul uh, ubiquitously between the Old and New Testament. In the Old Testament, the word nephesh literally means to breathe. So as you might know, the Bible is written mainly in Hebrew and Greek. The Torah, its first five books are exclusively written in Hebrew. The English word soul is rendered in Hebrew nephesh, as we've said, and it literally means a breathing creature. It's important that we seek to understand the Bible's message through its original language or languages. And that's been a key teaching of the Christadelphians for over 160 years. This word then, nephesh, originates from the word nafash, which means to breathe. And it appears first in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 20 the seedbed of the Bible, and it has over 700 occurrences in the Old Testament alone in a variety of uses. So I've borrowed a, a graphic here on the right-hand side of the screen uh, where somebody has analysed where that word is used and its frequency and the different ways in which it's used. So um, literally it refers to the throat or the neck, the, the, the idea of where one breathes. But it's also rendered soul, souls, life, person, persons, lives, things, you, me, yourself, herself, anyone, you, and lots of other different ways in which it's used. So it's right to say that while it literally means to breathe, and that is the fundamental meaning of the word nephesh, and therefore the concept that the Bible teaches about soul, there are other things attached to it which is worthy of considering how it's used. So firstly, uh, item A, Genesis 1, verse 24. Let the earth bring forth the living creature. Now I've highlighted this in green because clearly we saw that old English usage, so the tribes of the Germanic regions and, and all of that um, other collection who taught or believed that earth originated out of the sea, well, actually that's caught in, 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 in distinction or, or con, complete distinction to what the Bible teaches, that actually the earth brought forth the living creature. 
And this word here highlighted in blue is the word soul, nephesh. Genesis 23 and verse 8 then, this is the occasion where Abraham obtaining a burial place for Sarah from the sons of Heth, negotiating for the land, he says, if, it's, if it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of sight, then, then sell me the land. And here you can see the same word nephesh, soul, being used, but actually attached to it now is the understanding of uh, reason, intent, um, um, uh, and um, opinion from the sons of Heth. And, and Abraham's able to distinguish that when he's talking with them. Item C then, Genesis 38 verse 18, came to pass when her, which is Rachel in this context, when her soul was in departing, for she died. And so her soul here was in departing and literally Rachel died. There's no disaggregation between the two things of uh, her soul, her life departing from her, ghost form or spirit form and descending from her. Literally what the account says is, as she was lay there dying, and as she died, her soul, she was in the last part of her, her breath, as it were. Item one then, Exodus 15 verse nine, gives us another angle. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. So here's a, a phrase that's used, it's, it's the same nephesh, but in the context of what's being written, which is Moses speaking of the intention, the motivation of Israel's enemies, this word is interpreted as lust, the breath, the, the effort, the, the emotion that goes with it. Item two, Numbers chapter 11 and verse six, our soul is dried away. And that's in the context of the children of Israel complaining about the lack of nice food of Egypt, food which was full of water, cucumbers and onions and all sorts of lush foods. And they said, our soul is dried away. And, and literally here, the word soul means throat. You know, they could taste it in their mouth. All of those nice things had faded away. And then item three, Job chapter 34 and verse 14. Here, Job is reflecting. If he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together. And man shall return again unto dust. And that's the key teaching of the Bible, that man was formed out of dust, uh, that the woman was formed out of uh, man, that God breathed, or the angels, as we understand in um, Genesis, breathed the breath of life into them, and they became living souls. So let's think more about Nephesh and the principal teachings about it. And these are really important. So the idea of the soul uh, being um, separate to the body, that the body itself contains the soul up until the point of death. And that soul then go, you know, lifts away or ascends into heaven or down into hell, as some teach, for um, a, a continued existence. Well, let's look to see what the Bible has to say about this, because it does touch on the subject of why are we here and why is it that we're restless about understanding this topic? Well, in Ezekiel 33 and verse 7, Ezekiel, a prophet, um, is told by God to act as a watchman, someone to look out for um, things that God had said would be coming. So, O son of man, which is Ezekiel, I've set you as a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. What I say unto the wicked, a wicked man, you shall surely die in his iniquity. 
but his blood will I require at thy hands. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked of his way to turn from it, if he does not turn away from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. And so what's being said here to Ezekiel is this, that God expects everybody to work, to live by a, a moral code that he has defined. And in this context, he's speaking to the children of Israel. And he says, tell them, Ezekiel, tell them that they should live in a different way. But if they choose not to and you've told them, then actually you've done your part, Ezekiel. You've delivered your soul. You've been a good, righteous person. And the individual will die as a result of their wicked ways. It's quite clear. There's no continuing um, soul there. Psalm 49 then is a really interesting um, book of the Bible because it touches on many of the things pertaining to um, the agitation of humans, of individuals, about what happens when we die. Psalm 49 verse 6 it speaks about the pride of mankind. They that trust in their wealth and they boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem or buy back his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. So the richest people in the world could not use their riches to redeem uh, their brother, their son, their mother, their daughter. Um, the, 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 there are occasions in life whereby physical nature cannot be overcome, regardless of the, the um, science and medicine that, that, um, that we have today. And money and wealth um, cannot stop natural processes. For the redemption of their soul, and the psalmist is speaking of these individuals, is precious, and it ceaseth forever. That he should still live forever and not see corruption is the hope and the desire of everybody, isn't it? Not to die, but to continue. For he sees that wise men die, like the fool and brutish person that perish, and they leave their wealth to others. And... Here's the king in Israel at this time reflecting that you can obtain all of this wealth and you can have all of this wonderful material stuff. But eventually it comes to a point whereby you think, who do I hand this over to? And actually a good and an upstanding son could come along or a, a foolish daughter and vice versa might be the inheritor of all of this individual's wealth. And it's a real form of anxiety. Psalm 49 and verse 11 goes on to say, Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands and their buildings after their own names. And isn't that the case? Isn't that the case? Alexandria, for instance, after Alexander the Great. There are many cities called that. Nevertheless, man, being in honour, abides not. He's like the beast that perisheth. We just die. There's nothing that's left over. Uh, this is... This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their sayings. So the idea is that, you know, we'll praise the, the, the statue of a dead person, that they did great things, and it's nonsense. It really is. It's just remembering the dead and, and uh, things that happened years ago. And the difference being here that the psalmist says, I'm different, the psalmist, because God will redeem my soul. He will buy back my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. 
And that's a really important point, and that's why I've put a box around it, a box that obscures the words uh, on my screen. But this is the point, that the psalmist has ordered his life in a way, and he was the king of Israel at this time, in a way that was pleasing to God. So that the efforts he has in his life were known to God, and as a result, God would not allow him to stay in the grave, but that he would be redeemed. So be not afraid when one is made rich, for when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory does not descend with him. And if you think about the um, teachings of the Egyptians, you know, the um, great casks they had, the mummification, the gold and the silver, and all of the, you know, the stuff they took with them to the afterlife was worth nothing at all. And the psalmist says that the wealth of individuals doesn't go down into the ground or ascend into the heavens. Though while he lived, he blessed his soul. He thought he was doing well. And men would praise them uh, when thou doest well to thyself. Well, he says the end goal is this, that without God, without ordering our ways correctly, we shall go to the generation of our fathers. They shall never see light. Death is final. So those are words, some English words and some Hebrew words, and we can see the application of the way they're used in the Bible. Does it matter? Well, like we said, the Bible is uh, the, the, the word of God. It claims that for itself. And so it does matter. Um, you can see how there's very different teaching in that of Beowulf and some old English and Germanic tribes teachings to that of the Bible. What we've done is established that the origins of the English word are from an incompatible premise to that of the Bible. So what we're saying there is you can't just believe both. Um, they're incompatible. You end up with an absolute confusion. We've established that the word soul from the Bible stance means primarily to breathe, but it is used to describe a range of associated emotions and motives. And we've established that the teaching of the Bible is direct and unequivocal about the transient breath of all creatures, that man is no different to the beasts of the field. He cannot buy back his own life. Um, he can't reason with God and pay him money for it. That's just not an option. And so we reflect on our modern day uh, position. And you hear the, the, the view that the Bible's outdated and so on and so forth, and these are old um, thoughts. And actually with all of the new science we've got and so on and so forth, um, we, we, there are different answers. And yet, if you're listening to this talk, you're probably in a position whereby that explanation doesn't cut it for you. The humanistic approach to say, we're only here, eat, drink and be merry, because tomorrow we're dead and there's nothing else, just doesn't sit right with you. And, and that's quite perfectly right to think that. The Bible um, identifies this in its teaching, that there is a train of thought, and there always has been, that ignores the Bible's teaching. And so the common concept of a soul in society today is varied, as varied as the number of religions and philosophies, as old as the Nubian peoples in Egypt we mentioned before. More recently, uh, Greek philosophers, both Plato and Aristotle, of which there's an extract on the screen there, reason that the soul must have a logical faculty, the exercise of which was the most divine of human actions. And it's said that Socrates at his defense trial even summarized his teaching as nothing other than exhortation for his fellow Athenians to excel in matters of the soul 
since all bodily goods are dependent on such excellence. He himself as a philosopher who um, was contemporaneous with many of the prophets actually in the Bible had this uh, philosophy that actually this, the soul itself um, contained or had to be so much more than, than just an existence and then an end. And so he attached those thoughts to it. In the Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11 describes this sense of agitation or, or discomfort and, and um, lack of acceptance of, of the idea that there is no, um, no higher um, aspiration for humanity. And it gives the reason that God has embedded that in every human being. He says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world, the olam, eternity in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. But there's a searching, an inner searching, which is really difficult to explain. And there's various attempts at reasoning it away. But the reality is, as mentioned, if you're listening to this talk, you're probably what the, the New Testament calls hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You're looking for to understand what the purpose of life is. And the Bible is very clear about that. Well, we've talked a lot there and lots of words, lots of uh, quotations from the Bible and there's more to come. And so I suggest we just pause for a moment and, and take a breath. Uh, breathe or nefesh as, as the Hebrew would put it. Uh, on this screen it's quite refreshing. Um, it reminded me of a time when my brother and I and, and uh, our sons walked up uh, Penavan on the north slope on an extremely windy day and on that, um, uh, that, that mountainside in South Wales uh, the wind was exceptionally strong 60 or 70 miles per hour and the, the, there was a force of breath and it just felt so exhilarating. And it's like that every day, isn't it, when we take a breath and, and wake up in reality. So we've focused on the subject of the soul and breath. And what is the purpose of life? Why then philosophers, why were they agitated? Living and dying didn't explain. Um, what was it that was beyond? Well, if they'd have turned and looked at the Bible, the answers would be clearly there. While we all have soul, breath, that soul, as we've read, um, at the point of um, death, uh, that soul continues to exist. But what the Bible is clear about is that for those who believe and put their trust in God, that the actions of the individual's life, the soul as we might call it, are not forgotten. They don't waft off into the heaven or down into the earth. Actually, the actions of the individual, the character of the individual and everything they did in their life is noted and recorded. We've got a series of quotations here. Malachi 3 and verse 16 says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, for the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Again, Job in chapter 13 and verse 26 says, You write bitter things against me and make me to possess the iniquities of my youth. And so he's reflecting upon his life and the iniquities of his youth and he reflects on things that he got wrong. And he says there's a day book that's written that records all of these things. In Philippians 4 and verse 3, the Apostle Paul, speaking to his fellow labourers, says your names are written in the book of life. And that's a separate book as we understand it. 
Revelation chapter th- 3 and verse 5 says that there is a reward, a prize to those who have lived their life and their soul, as it were, the actions of their life have been recorded by God and his angels. The, sh- the same shall be clothed in white raiment and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. Revelation 20 brings these two books together, if you like. I saw the dead, small and great, didn't matter how rich or poor they were, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. So it speaks of those who had died being raised again to receive the judgment of the the record of their life. In Romans 14 verse 7 then, none of us live to himself and no man dies to himself. Whether we live or we live unto the Lord and whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's is his reasoning. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. So what he's saying there is that while people have died in the hope um, of the resurrection as taught in the Bible, they did so in confidence, being dead unto Christ, knowing that Jesus, as he was risen, would raise them again in the day of judgment. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he says, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. All those things that Job said and Malachi said were written in the day book, we'll give account for. And Jesus, speaking on this topic in Matthew 12, verse 36, says, Be careful, Um, I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified. And by their words thou shalt be condemned. Again, Matthew 10 and verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in the grave. So there's no teaching of a soul floating to heaven or to hell or being um, transitory in purgatory. What he says is this. That the actions of an individual's life are known to God. And at the point of death, we expire and there is no wafting away of a soul, but just the knowledge of the individual's life, awaiting the day that Jesus returns to raise the dead to resurrection and to the judgment. So how can then the soul survive death? In what form is it? Well, we've just discussed that, haven't we? But I thought these two verses really you know, appeal to us. In the epistle of John, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. Sin is the issue um, that we've talked about. Living a life uh, that is pleasing to God is overcoming sin. If any man sin and fall short, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the covering or what's called a propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but anybody who um, in the whole world who turns to him. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. If in that day book it's got things that we do that that, uh, follow in in Jesus' footsteps. In John 1 verse 9, here's the real appeal. He says of Jesus that he was the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or the right or privilege 
to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And if you remember in the Psalm 49, it says, I know that God will redeem me of the power of the grave. And here God has given us through Jesus the power over the grave to become the sons of God, to be raised again. Being born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. So where's the proof I hear you say? How can I have the same confidence that this is the case? Well, David here in Acts chapter 2, verse 25, spoke on these wise. He said, I always knew that Jesus was by the side of me. Many years after David, he said, I always knew that that was the plan and purpose of God, that he would introduce his son. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh, I can, I can not fear death. I can rest in hope, knowing this, that my soul will not stay in hell because he won't suffer Jesus to see corruption. He'd raise him from the dead. And as a result of Jesus being raised, David himself would be raised. As a result, David was joyful, full of joy with thy countenance. The time when he sees Jesus and he's raised from the dead. So does the soul survive after death? We've established the clear teaching of the Bible in relation to the soul. We understand that the Bible teaches that God is interested in the day-to-day -day activities of believers. We now understand that the purpose of Jesus as our advocate, if we fall short, if we sin, that Jesus covers our sins. We understand that a day book and a book of life records our actions and on the basis of our choices, we will receive accordingly. We understand that the Bible does not teach a soul that goes to heaven or to hell at the point of death. We have considered that the internal agitation, that searching for answers to the meaning of life are within God's guidebook, the Bible. And that we can be associated with the rewards of faithfulness through baptism into Jesus and a faithful life. That whether we live or die, we do so to the Lord. Thank you for listening.